over there spiraling all alone. If you've got issues, grab your earbuds and some tissues. Let's laugh about it. Cause we're crying behind sunglasses. Hey, 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 sunnies. Welcome back to Crying Behind Sunglasses, a mental health podcast for cool people. I'm your host, Kayla Dahl, and I am so happy that you joined me here at my cozy little corner of the internet. I know it's been a while. I took about two months off completely unannounced, and I am so sorry for shame. But I promise it was for a good reason. A lot of good reasons. Let's be real here. I was dealing with a lot of radical growth personally. I also finally found my footing financially after a lot of hard times recently. I got my freelance hustle going again, so that's cool. And if I'm being honest, I needed to relearn my way in the world now that I am feeling less anxious. It's weird how we cling to these past versions of ourselves, even when they are unhealthy. Because when you're so used to your heart racing quickly and spinning out of control all the time, being able to just be calm and sit still and not have everything throw you into a panic attack. It feels uncomfortable. (laughs) Like, you know, happiness and peace, they're great goals. But if you're not used to feeling happy for no reason, it can be overwhelming. So I'm getting more comfy with it. I also finally healed and let go of a lot of resentments I had been holding on to from my past. And now I see that holding on to all of that anger, it was preventing me from forming new friendships, allowing new love into my life. I have room for all of that now. So in the spirit of growth, before we get into today's episode, I'd like to read you a poem from my favorite poet of the moment, Young Pueblo. Well, actually, two poems. This is from... Clarity and Connection is the book, and the section is called Growth. They asked her, What does letting go mean? She answered, Letting go does not mean erasing a memory or ignoring the past. It is when you are no longer reacting to the things that used to make you feel tense, and you are releasing the energy attached to certain thoughts. It takes self-awareness, intentional action, practice, and time. Letting go is the act of getting to know yourself so deeply that all delusions fall away. Mm. Just drink that in for a second. We should all have the privilege of getting getting to know ourselves that deeply. Okay, one more before we get into today's episode. Eventually, you start to see changes. Your mind becomes light. The trees look bright. The air you breathe begins to feel like food for new opportunity. And life takes on a crisp color pattern. Ups and downs will continue to come. 
and there is still much to learn, but you are calm now, and do not fear the old storms, which seem to pass more quickly. A new awareness arises to gently remind you that your power is yours to wield and is ready to propel you forward into peace and liberating insight. Ah, oh, beautiful. Love it. So, today's guest. We have a great interview for you with Dr. J.J. Kelly. That's right. We have someone on here who is a psychologist, a punk rock psychologist. So, Dr. J.J. Kelly is a licensed clinical psychologist, CEO, best-selling author, and emotional intelligence skills training expert. We talk about how she approaches therapy through Zen mindfulness meeting cognitive behavioral therapy. Also, using a punk rock alternative to traditional therapy, thinking outside of the box and empowering the patient to take charge of their healing. Also, trigger warning. We talk about self-harm in this episode, but we also discuss solutions to solve it. We talk about highly gifted kids. I remember I was one and how that can lead to anxiety in adulthood. Also, how we can ride the wave of emotions and then choose a different action. If this is your first time here, quick disclaimer, this podcast is not meant to be a substitute for medical advice or therapy. I am not a doctor, just someone who really cares about your mental health and wants to make you laugh. And uh, if you like what you heard this episode, don't forget to subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. It really helps to bump the podcast up in the charts and help get the word out so we can continue destigmatizing mental health. So without further ado, please enjoy today's episode. Please welcome to the show, Dr. J.J. Kelly. Hello. Thank you. Nice job. It's a mouthful, right? I'm still <laughs> trying to say all that shit right. Well, I, I, you know what? I respect it, though. I think it, it, we don't need to limit ourselves to just doing one thing. Yeah. Yeah. I tried to pare it down, but all those things matter. So whatever. I, I'm uh-huh. really trying hard to not be called the therapist, too, because that's not what I do. Oh, so. really? Yeah. That's interesting. You don't yeah. you don't consider what you do therapy. No, 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 I don't. It's not therapy at all. I did that for 16 years. Uh, that's okay. not because I think that the mental health field has so many isms in it. I don't want to be associated with that. So many so. isms. Yeah, that's interesting. You want to think outside of the box. And um, for our listeners who don't know you, um, I thought it was really interesting. And the reason I wanted to bring you on the show is because you bill yourself as having like a punk rock alternative to therapy. And I'm so curious what that means, because I agree with you. There are certain things about traditional psychotherapy where they try to put people in a box and it doesn't always work. And I would assume if um, by punk that you mean that you're you're thinking outside of the box, you're kind of making things more customized to each person. Yeah. And more collaborative in order to take the hierarchy and doctor worship away and in a patriarchal system, uh, trying to take the elitism out of it, the over pathologizing and which leads to over medicating of young people and all people. 
Interesting. So uh, you were doing, quote unquote, regular therapy for 16 years. What made you make a switch to a different approach? Uh, I got sick of it. I didn't like I I did the best that I could within the system. And I loved it. I loved it. I love what I do. And I've been teaching DBT the entire time, too. So it wasn't just like one on one. It was sure. psychoeducation and groups and all kinds of stuff. Um lectures, all that. But um, I wanted to make it more of a group process. I wanted there to be a community outreach piece like grassroots. I wanted there to be a mentoring and peer coaching piece because my advanced students who came over with me from private practice psychotherapy now and then were thrown in a group, kudos to them for that difficult transition. Um, they are more emotionally intelligent than any doctoral level psych student I ever supervised because they've done the work. So I want them to start teaching the younger, we call them pre-docs, um, the under 18s that are just starting. So we, we're going to do stuff like that too. Emotions camps in the summer, stuff like that. So Emotion camp. Yeah. Yes. Yep. I mean, I went to theater camp, so I guess that's pretty close to the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) Theater camp is quite emotional. Yes. Yeah. That's cool. And um, I know you mentioned DBT, um, and that stands for Dialectical Behavioral Therapy. Can you just uh, tell me, like, what what is that and what does it involve? Yeah. Yeah. It's the nutshell, in a nutshell, it's Zen mindfulness meets cognitive behavioral therapy. Okay. So I, I often have said diabolical behavior therapy just because it's funny. Um, and to like, come on, lighten up. That sounds so like dialectics. Like that sounds so serious and clinical. Really, yeah. it's the Venn diagram. A dialectic is, is a seeming paradox, anything that seems opposed but exists in harmony in an integrated way so instead of black and white gray so we're always looking for that middle path of the venn diagram so you said you're incorporating zen mindfulness with the cbt uh cognitive Mm -hmm. behavioral therapy and so does that mean that you are having your clients um incorporate meditation into their practice that's a great question because meditation is mindfulness Mm -hmm. but mindfulness isn't meditation right Mm -hmm. so Meditation is a form, and I have had anybody that wanted to be trained um, in specifically transcendental meditation. I brought somebody in to do that for the advanced students, so a lot of them do uh, TM, and mm-hmm. uh, I do it as well. But I don't bring I don't bring up meditation first. If okay. somebody wants to talk about meditation, I'm all about it, um, but I wait. I, I see. don't push it. So then yeah, we, what's your way of incorporating mindfulness um, if it's not through meditation? Because I know what you're saying, like, there is a way to be mindful in your everyday life. Like, even if you're just, oh, I'm mindfully eating this food. Each bite that I'm taking, I'm really chewing and I'm really in the moment and I'm tasting it and being here. Uh, that's right. how I would think of mindfulness as an example. Right. right. And that is called wakeful mindfulness, the everyday eyes open kind of mindfulness. And specifically, 
Um, when it comes to building emotional intelligence, we validate emotions. And that just means saying what they are. It's funny because that seems really simple and everyone can like conceptually grasp that, but no one actually does it. Unless they're defensively accusing some. I feel attacked. Well, that ain't no feeling. Attack <laughs> is not a feeling. It is a judgment, an evaluation of the intention of the person in front of you, which you can't actually doubt as fact. You can't say that's a fact without the other person's confirmation. So, right, because you don't know what their intention was if they were intentionally attacking. I mean, yes, maybe exactly. the more accurate thing would be to say, I feel hurt. Exactly. Or yes. something like that. Yes, totally. I feel pissed. I feel whatever. Just put an emotion word in. Mm-hmm. And we use language in that really specific way to build an emotions vocabulary in order to do the really key thing in DBT, which is validation of emotions not thoughts and not all behaviors either because when we're scared we can think some really like crazy shit and that's okay it's just we don't want to treat those as fact and then act from that place Mm -hmm. you want to get to like naming the emotion so you can bring down that emotional activation before you make any sort of decision mindful decision about how you want to behave interesting so if someone was like, I don't know, in an argument with, with their significant other and they were using this technique, they would say, they would check in with themselves and say, I'm angry. But then like, what's the next step? How does that help? Well, it helps because you are owning your own feelings in, in naming it, it does bring it down some. Okay. So that you can think about the next tool you want to employ. And that is choice instead of reactivity, which makes it by definition mindful. I see. One of the examples I give is from, I have not done couples therapy in forever because I think people can fight at home for free. (laughs) (laughs) You you don't want to be a referee? (laughs) Definitely not. So, and plus people come so late. It's like putting a Band-Aid on, like, a, a river of blood. Like, it's true. No, people go blood. there as, like, the last-ditch effort, right. for sure. Right. Way, way, way too late. But anyway, I I have this this example that I give from couples therapy. Because, you know, people have been taught to use I feel statements, but they still do it incorrectly. And a lot of times the shrink is the one that has taught it to them incorrectly. I feel like you're being an asshole. Well, mm. that is not a feeling. You don't get points for emotional intelligence for name calling with an I feel statement. <laughs> so anytime you say I feel, the very next word has to be an emotion word. If it's that or like, you are on your way to a thought. I don't give a shit what comes after that or like. You are on your way to a thought. Mm-hmm. Not a feeling. I feel angry. Sure. Fine. We can talk about that all day. I will validate that. But I'm not going to co-sign name calling in a, you know, a <laughs> psychoeducation context because most people that would violate their values. And a lot of the mindfulness is based on what are your values, your core values. And then 
What are the behaviors that match those values? Because a lot of times when we get emotionally activated, we get reactive. We behave in a way that does not align with our values. And then it causes shame and erodes self-confidence and Mm self-esteem. So that is defined by you or like by a client. It's not defined by me. I just give you tools to support the building of your own self-confidence. And that is so cool and collaborative and feminist to not just do what I say. No, I love that. I love that. I think that's such a, a really radical approach to therapy because you are giving your clients, uh, or I know you say you don't do therapy, but I feel like it is kind of a form of therapy. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a class. Yeah. I mean, it's built in, but it's instructional and sure. active. But I guess you're, you're giving your clients the tools to be able to manage their own lives instead of like, I feel like a lot of times if I go to therapy, I'm just sitting there and I'm venting. The person is listening and then kind of that that's that's where it ends, you know, or we might look at a certain situation in my life and figure out how to tackle that one thing. But I'm not getting the overall tools to handle things on my own. So I think that's really great. And like you said, feminist, it's empowering uh, people to be able to do it for themselves, which like that's what you want. That's exactly what I want. Yeah. And also something that I didn't really think about, which struck me when you were explaining how you work with people is um, values. I don't think I've ever had like a psychologist or therapist or anybody asking what my ask me what my values are as a person. Isn't that weird? Yeah, because that's such a a better place to come from, because my values would be, okay. well, I really value honesty and I value um, being able to um, express myself. Right. And so thinking about those values and being able to reflect on them in the moment when I'm becoming emotional, then it's like, okay, if this is the person I want to be, then how should I act? act? Yeah. So. Right. That's really like I, I'm my I have like the brain exploding emoji <laughs> happening over here. So that's really cool. I, isn't it just so funny how, what a simple concept that is? And then to you know everybody, not everybody, but you know a lot of people done some therapy in some form, uh-huh. and and nobody's been asked that question. I get, and you know a lot of young kids who have had extensive therapy before they get to me. I'm like, so what's going on at home? And they're like, oh my God, no one's ever asked me that. How is that possible? (laughs) How have you been hospitalized for self-harm and like suicidal behaviors and no one's ever asked you? It's just like a human thing to do. So what are your values? Because how the hell are we going to build your skill set to support your values and therefore the building of your self-esteem, your co- increasing your capacity to experience joy, that's based on acting right. Not right according to me, according to you. Right, right. Yeah, and, and also uh, I was going to say that it seems a lot of traditional psychotherapy is very focused on the problem at hand. So it's, I have anxiety and panic attacks. Okay. How can we fix that? Instead of looking at the whole person and seeing not only do we want to fix that, but also 
who do I want to be in the world? Totally. And that's and, really beautiful. So. And jumping to problem solving too quickly is a big myth in any sort of therapeutic relationship. Mm-hmm. It's well-intended, but it sucks too. If, if you're like, oh my gosh, I was freaking out today at work. And somebody's like, well, did you do your deep breathing? Did you do this? Did you do this? And it's like, now I'm kind of, it's like disconnecting. Yeah. Whereas if you're like, well, that sucks. That sounds like a shit day. Just a validation statement. I could think, even have my own thoughts like, uh-oh, this is becoming a pattern. Did, you know, did, <laughs> did she contribute to her own misery today? I can have those clinical thoughts in my head and still validate you from a genuine place. I don't have to agree with anything. I just meet you where you are. And then we go to problem solving. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to back up a little. Oh, yeah. I wanted to back up a little bit because you um, talked about how you have specialized in helping um, kids and and teens who struggle with self-harm. And uh, I know you've written a few different books. Uh, There's a whole series of books called uh, holy shit, fill in the blank, you know, so there's one called holy shit, my kid is cutting a complete uh-huh. plan to stop self-harm. So uh, where do you begin with that? Because that is such a heavy topic. And, and I'm sure like, not an area that many people would want to go into. It's it's yeah, really kind of a, a scary waters to tread into because God forbid something happens yeah. as a doctor or as, as, um, as a practitioner, right. that's, right. that's gotta be hard. So how do you head into sessions like that? And where do you even start with the parents or with the kids? Um, not backing down from it in that first meeting. Like it, it is scary. And I understand particularly with parents, why it scares the shit out of them. Mm-hmm. I get that. I do have a lot of empathy for that. My problem is when professionals are scared of it because they don't, they're not educated in it. And then they just medicate kids mm. or they hospitalize them and which sometimes obviously sure, but people continuously mistake suicide attempts um, with self-harm. Mm-hmm. And that is a myth in my opinion. Um, they also don't talk about it. So on a first meeting, I talk about it a ton, a ton to demonstrate that it can always be talked about. I will not back away from this. Mm-hmm. It, it causes shame. We want to reduce the behaviors that you engage in that cause shame because we're trying to build up your self-esteem, not erode it yeah. shame over and over again. Um, I also validate that there is something that quote unquote works about cutting in the moment there's a shame bill that has to be paid after so nobody actually wants to do it and i don't want anyone doing it either there's just something really effective about them knowing that i know that it does something that they're looking for well yeah they wouldn't continue this repetitive behavior unless they were getting something out of it exactly in the moment exactly Exactly. It brings it brings the intensity just way, way, way down in Uh the moment. Um, You know, tons of problems after. But so we we just talk about it a ton that first meeting. And then after that, it becomes very 
tools and skills focused. Mm-hmm. And I often don't talk about it a lot after that, because if they're being given an alternative that actually works, the cutting behavior will go extinct on its own. What would an example of an alternative be? Oh my gosh, there's so, so many in DBT. It's all about building like a toolbox of Uh coping skills. Um, And, you know, everybody can do, I like burpees because people hate burpees, myself included. (laughs) Yeah, no, I hate them too. (laughs) Um, Everybody hates them. And it's like, but there's something about getting your heart rate up with like Mm -hmm. panic attacks and with like um, a real distressing moment like that. you know, DBT says you put your face in an ice bath too, um, which fine if that works for people. I think that that time it takes to like go to the freezer and get the ice cubes out of the thing and get the bowl. Like, I don't know. I think you could probably do five to 10 burpees in that time and probably bring the intensity of your emotional activation way down. And then you can remember to breathe after that, take a walk, call a friend, whatever. You just got to get it down from like, you know, hyperspace. Yeah. And so what I'm hearing is is to get out of your head, you have to get into your body. I think that is one way that really, really works. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it makes mm-hmm. sense because it, there, it, if in that moment your brain is kind of a minefield. Exactly. You <laughs> then... can't think of things. No, you have to have one on deck. I ha- and I have people that are in real distress. I'll have them write out what it is and then put it on the fridge with a magnet because your brain shorts out when you're in that much distress. Mm-hmm. So just go to the fridge. All you got to remember is go to the fridge. <laughs> you do that thing. You don't have to be thinking about choices. You do that thing. It brings the intensity a little bit closer to baseline. Now maybe you can think right, of another thing and then another if you're not to baseline yet. That makes sense. Yeah. Because it's a wave. You know, it'll pass on its own if you don't keep feeding the fire. Emotions have a pretty short shelf life, particularly when they're that intense. So mm-hmm. if you can ride it out without making a mess, like making choices, reactive choices that make the situation worse. You can ride it out without doing anything. <laughs> You're going to have less shame on the back end of that wave. Right, right. Because I think w- what I'm hearing is that with these self-harming behaviors, you just need to break the cycle of, I feel this way, therefore I do this. Instead, I feel this way, okay, I'm not going to go directly to this self-harm. I'm going to choose different because I'm aware of the feeling. Yeah. And just naming the feeling does regulate the emotion a little bit. Mm-hmm. Because you just if you can't think, you're just like, fuck. You're not thinking. Just make yourself say, what do I feel right now? Mm-hmm. And that's a tough enough question when you're that dysregulated. Yeah, yeah, I could imagine. But I want to say everybody self-medicates. Like self-harm is an extreme version, but people like to get real like flippant, like they don't self-medicate. But, you know, what I call verbal cutting, people calling themselves stupid or saying terrible things about themselves or their bodies or 
whatever, that verbal cutting that's unregulated because it's silent a lot of the time in people's heads does so much damage. Yeah, the negative self-talk. That's right. Absolutely. So damaging. So damaging. So um, dismissed. Not regulated. Nobody has any discipline around that. Like that erodes self-esteem faster than a lot of other things. Yeah. And it's it's invisible. Yeah. So that's why got it. it's going completely unchecked and it's not going to get fixed unless you admit to yourself that it's happening. Right. So. Right. Yeah. No, I totally understand that. Uh, I wanted to ask you just because I, I want to get to know a little bit more about your background. How did you originally become interested in the field of psychology? Was that something that uh, you thought about as a child, like that you wanted to grow up and do this? I I don't know if I, everybody thought I'd be a, a pediatrician hmm. um, or a veterinarian when I was little. Um, and that tracks. Um, but I don't know, you know, I think this is a profession and maybe people say this about whatever profession they're in, but I, what I've heard is like artists say this kind of thing too, that it just was always kind of there. Um, I think family of origin shit is why most people go into psychology in undergrad to learn about, you know, where they came from and family system stuff and figure themselves out a little bit. Um, my problem is that then people of privilege go keep going to grad school with that same mentality. They don't actually do the work. They just learn about it and then intellectualize their own problems and then go do harm in the field because they haven't done anything about their personality disorder. And then they take money and are like, oh, I'm such a great person. Like, (laughs) (laughs) but I remember hearing when I was doing research on temper tantrums, actually, at University of Wisconsin in undergrad, I was like, God, this research thing sucks. Data entry. And I mean, I like and like putting caps on kids that are like two years old and they can't sit still. It's like, I'm like what do you mean putting caps this? on them? Like to measure um, EEG. Oh, right. So, um I was like, this sucks. I don't want to do this. Right. Like for a living. And then somebody said, and that was ages ago too. Oh, there's this thing called a PsyD instead of a PhD where you do, it's more of a, it's clinical psychology. So it's more working with people than doing research. And I was like, oh, hell yeah. That's what I'm going to do. Okay. And people still don't give PsyDs as much respect as a PhD. Um, Again, patriarchy hierarchy um but you know a side d gets way more training face to face with clients what's the difference research okay so you're researching academic versus clinical degree i see okay and Mm -hmm. uh basically so you you get more hours face to face with people instead of having your nose in a book Tons. Yeah. And instead of doing data entry, which is what a lot of research is, is doing data entry for no pay for tenured professors. Wow. Wah, wah. 
<laughs> that doesn't sound fun at all. No, it's not. I mean, if you dig the topic and you're willing to do it, yay, more power to you. For me, no. Right. Nope. 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 No, thank I you. I want to do something in the world. I want it. I wanted everybody to like be like themselves and be happy. I said on an interview once, happy people act right. And that like took off. Um, and what does that mean? It means that, okay, so with what we've said about values mm -hmm. and how to have yourself mindful enough that you don't give yourself permission to act the asshole when you're emotionally activated. So if you're happy and you like yourself, you're grounded in your alignment with your values. You have some confidence that even when you are highly emotionally activated, you are still going to behave according to your values because you've practiced that mm. with some success. Mm -hmm. And so you're building your self-confidence, your self-esteem, your capacity to experience joy, and you've reduced the behaviors that cause shame and therefore anxiety and that loop. So think about it. Like, when you know a happy person when you meet them, they're like kind to people. Not like they're pushover and polite all the time, because I certainly am not. Sometimes right. the kind thing to do, I think, is to be like, you're full of shit right now. Let's dig into that. Uh -huh. I'm, smell I'm smelling some bullshit right now. Right. Argue with me if you want to. You know, like I have that interaction a lot. Absolutely. And I think that's the kind thing to do versus sign off on their bullshit story that they tell themselves that hurts them and then take money for it. <laughs> no, that does not align with my values. So, you know, you can feel when somebody likes themselves and then they act right a lot of the time and then they keep practicing it and it just builds on itself. And then the joy kind of radiates. I mean, I have strangers come up to me all the time. They can feel something off of me or see it or I think feel it. Mm -hmm. And they just like want that. Yeah. They want they, that intangible feeling. Yes. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. No, and I want to, I want everybody to have that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, there is a little segment I like to do on my show. Uh, I, I like to call hot tips. Hot tips, hot tips, hot tips. So basically, when you have a shitty day, um, whatever that looks like for you, maybe you have a tough client or uh, I don't know, it's just bad weather outside, you have an argument with a friend of yours, you come home, what are you going to do to turn that shitty day around for yourself? Whether that's, I don't know, listening to your favorite piece of music or food or taking a bath. Oh, boy. It really depends on what it is. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't really get too bent out of shape anymore. I mostly just laugh when people do fucked up things. Um, I will step in and correct it if it's like, if it's something racist or something, you know, sure. I will step in. and But, you know, getting catcalled, stuff like that, it sucks. But they're already gone, so I'm not going to let them have power in my life. But if I'm pissed off and I walk in my door, I'm going to dance it out. Or if I'm on Zoom with somebody, um, you know, sometimes this shit gets real intense because I I consider it my duty to get the, in get in there. Absolutely. And sometimes people come to me with like years and years of programming 
that they're used to like getting bigger and acting out and socially that will make people back down. Mm -hmm. I think it's my responsibility not to back down. That's the therapeutic relationship. I have to be like, Oh no, no, you will not be speaking to me like that. Mm -hmm. You continue to do it. There's the door. Don't let, don't let it hit you in the ass on the way out. Yeah. It almost reminds me of like, um, when you're trying to train a dog, like you, they need an assertive pack leader. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we're animals. Yeah. And, and I don't think I'm not saying that to reduce, I work with geniuses. So it's just that being smart doesn't always translate to being emotionally intelligent because one of the defense mechanisms is intellectualization, getting all up in your head about a thing and explaining it to death. I'm like, well, okay, words, 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 but you're not saying shit. It's all minutia. That's all bullshit. It's beautifully worded. However, it doesn't make it true. Right. So let's cut the shit and get to what are you feeling right now? That's making you like vomit, word vomit like that. Absolutely. No, I think it's, it's, it's an easy way to distract or deflect it just by yes. being all intellectual, which actually uh, the other, one of the other books you wrote is about, um, it says, holy shit, I'm a gifted misfit, which really caught my attention because I uh, was a kid that went to a school for highly gifted kids yeah. and there are so many like memes that I've seen going around where it's like, oh, if you were highly gifted as a child, congrats, you have anxiety as an adult. Like there were so many expectations that were placed on gifted kids. And I don't know if that's helpful. Right, right. (laughs) You're told you're smart growing up. There are studies about this too, that kids that are told they're smart growing up, they think that if they struggle at anything, that it threatens their IQ. Mm-hmm. If I have to, if I have to try hard at something, it means I'm dumb. Oh shit. So now I got to just give up if mm-hmm. it's not going to be perfect the first time. So the resilience is down and anxiety is way up. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I see that shit all the time. Yeah. And I didn't even realize until like, I think the end of college that I had anxiety, but a lot of it was tied into this whole like, oh, I'm highly gifted, therefore I have to achieve. And therefore, if I don't achieve, then I don't have any value in this world, you know? And you can't fail because you can't fail at anything because your self-worth is so fragilely riding on your success, whatever the hell that means. Right. And that's external. It has nothing to do with who I am on the inside. and. So I remember just getting to the end of college and being like, oh, well, after I graduate, then what? Right. right. So like, right. This is right. what I was driving towards. And if everything is just open ended after that and my whole right. self-worth is based on these achievements, then who am I when I've already finished achieving? That is beautifully said. Yes. And I don't think there's enough discussion about how difficult that transition um out of undergrad is yeah those early 20s that are post undergrad like 22 to 26 are those those are hard years yeah and nobody tells you it's okay that they're super hard you're supposed to be like you're done with school now come on baby welcome to the real world you have no 
you have no experience so take a shit job and be treated like crap because you don't have any marketable whatever it's mm-hmm. it's such a it's such a like built in systemic gaslighting thing that fucks young people up gifted young people mm-hmm. that want to actually contribute ps it's never discussed joy the the need for playfulness and laughter and how that actually correlates with productivity yeah and purpose right no, that makes sense because everything is so results driven and about like yeah. doing well on these tests or uh, getting all these different awards or good grades. And it, it, it's not about the that playfulness. Right. Right. So, and, and like you were saying with your hot tip that you shared, like you like to dance it out. I think that that's great. That's like another form of play and mm-hmm. getting into the body and getting out of your head. What when you're dancing it out, like what kind of music are we talking Oh my gosh, it's uh, everything. Uh, probably not country, but like, <laughs> like um, you know, it's like girl punk would, mm-hmm. and definitely hip hop. I mean, Fishbone is a go-to for me always. Um, there you go. Oh my gosh. Um, and you know, like Trash Can announcers are go-tos, but you know, I'll put something, I'll pick a song and then just let Pandora do the autoplay too sometimes. But punk, right. hip hop are the the staples, ska, that kind of thing. Yeah, the, it's, Love that. it's like higher energy, and there can be like an expression. Yeah, um, but you know, I'll also sing the Frozen song at the top of my lungs. Let it go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, no, I think that like. Just there's something about music that really can just strike a chord and let you yes. let it out. Like I have different playlists for different moods. Like I have a playlist that's for crying. Yeah. Uh, and nice. then I have nice. a different one that's more joyful. So yep. it just depends on on how I'm feeling. You throw that yep. on. Yep. 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 <laughs> and the truth is, it doesn't really matter what. Right. It's whatever blows your hair back. Mm-hmm. And it's the shaking it off it's the dancing it out it's the vocal expression it's the smiling it's the laughing I mean what you were saying before about like you like to have laughter in your podcast I Mm -hmm. think that's not only important to destigmatize um and to make your guests comfortable it's absolutely there's like neurophysiology of how laughter calms the central nervous system down yeah. So he, that laughing yoga guy, um, he's not laughing at anything. He's just forcing himself to fake laugh till he's laughing for real for the effects on the central nervous system. He's like a cardiologist in India or something. You got to check this guy out. It's hilarious. Interesting. Be, I will look it up. It's super cool. It's super cool because he'll be like in a place where he has to be quiet, and so his face is like right in the camera, and he's like. I'm not laughing at anything. <laughs> he looks like a crazy person. Yeah. But there's science behind it, hard science behind it. And I, it's so great. And so I, as well, I try to have as much laughter in what we do because it's kind of just how I roll anyway. Uh-huh. Um, but also because of the physiological effects. Interesting. Yeah. I, I guess I never really thought about it on a scientific level, but it makes sense that uh when when we were laughing there are certain chemicals maybe that are 
going into our brain that are making us happy. Yeah. And just think about it's a release, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, too, sometimes you pee your pants. Like, but there is a like expressive release to it. And, and when you laugh, like really hard belly laugh with somebody, you can feel the connection with them in that mm-hmm. moment. There's a love and a joy there that we don't talk about, but we do feel. Yes. Yes. And I think that is just such a like lovely, you know, good stuff of life. It's beautiful. Yeah, it is. I, I love that. One other thing I was I was curious about because you have been doing therapy for so long and now everything is over Zoom. How has that changed your practice during COVID when you had to shift to offering services online? Well, I've been doing Zoom. I mean, I guess it was Skype years sure. ago. Um, forever. And I didn't think that that was going to be a great idea. And it worked out fine. I was mm-hmm. happy to be wrong about that. Um, and now because so much of my stuff is group, mm-hmm. Zoom just made sense with the pandemic. But pre-pandemic, we would do, you know, our own emotions camps with the advanced students. Um, and I don't know. I didn't think that I didn't think it would be as powerful over a screen, but it is for whatever reason. I can't explain it, but Mm -hmm. it still works. And plus I get to, you know, I get to work with people all over the world. Now I still mess up the time zone thing. Oh my gosh. I have to like triple check time zone stuff. You know, if I'm working with somebody in Belfast or, you know, whatever Australia, but, um, but that's so cool that I get to work with people from all different cultures and parts of the world. Like that's so rad because obviously like my mission is for everyone to learn emotional intelligence skills because then they'll get happy and act right and the world will be healed, you know? Absolutely. The Gifted Gifted Misfits book is the eight week program. So you should listen to that because that's all the emotional intelligence skills that I teach is in that thin little book. Okay. So it's also as an audio book. Yes. And a podcast on Spotify because, you know, young people don't read. Great. Well, people should check that out. Love that. (laughs) Right after this, cue it up next in your playlist. I'll put it in the, in the show notes. Plus I get to read them. You know, I love (laughs) My producer, like, lets me leave in all the um, laughing or I'll be like, who the hell writes that in a book and, like, laugh at myself during it. And she kept it all in, which I think is so it's so rad because authenticity is such a big focus in our work. Yeah. Yeah. You want to feel like you're actually talking to a real person and not just. A, a robot or someone who is doing everything totally uh, by a formula. Yeah. So that makes yes. sense. You, that's really cool that you've been able to work with people from different countries. Have you noticed like that there are certain countries that might be more like people are ha- more in touch with their emotions or less so like depending on different cultures or, Ooh, are, pe- or are people just people? It, well, everything in my world is the Venn diagram. So sure. it is both. Mm-hmm. People are just people and and it varies based on what their values are, right? So mm-hmm. I I tailored the skills to their values, but they're all the same skills every time. So they can cherry pick what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would 
say there are culture, cultural differences in uh, defense structures. Okay. I think there are class differences as well. Like socioeconomic um, yes. differences. So yes. what would you say, like, someone who is more, uh, I don't know, like, wealthy versus someone who's more middle class or poor? Like, what's the different defense structures there? Just... Well, you know, I, they're generalizations. Sure. So there are uh, obvious exceptions to the rule. But, you know, the waspy stuff <laughs> or British uh-huh. um, educated, like people's level of um, if they're older, a lot of times they've had more time to build their defense structure. And it's quite sophisticated. You know, that's why I like the teens because they're like, fault that you know we can just get right to it uh-huh. their defenses just show they act out but you know someone proper in whatever way that whatever that means sure um will often stuff anger or be really defensive but in a polite way i find that to be tedious mm-hmm. uh, or they'll use my presentation as a way of dismissing what i say like uh you're a doctor. How many times are you going to say fuck? I'm like, as many fucking times as I want. <laughs> like, don't be here if you don't want to be here. Yeah. But don't use it. Don't make it like, I, you know, I don't, what are you doing? Like, you're like calling me poor? Like, fuck you, <laughs> first of all. And, and like, so what? Like, that's a, that's a classist thing to do, too. It's also patriarchal. Like, there is a way to speak with grammar and all that kind of, that's like colonized shit. Mm-hmm. I do creative spellings and I do swearing in the book with a doctorate in order to dismantle some of that shit that keeps whole groups of people down. Right. Not because those people are unintelligent, but because of privilege. Right. And unearned power. Yeah. So, yeah. Don't say, oh, you, you, oh, you're a psychologist and you've never heard of that Tolstoy quote about family. I'm like, what? <laughs> puke. Everything you're saying right now, puke. Right. That's a lot like, of if gate, you wanna co- gatekeeping. That's hostile. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's fucking hostile, too. Unacknowledged anger. Let's talk about that instead of Tolstoy quotes. <laughs> People in academia are a pain in the ass. <laughs> Sometimes CEOs of like big, big companies, like I'm in the Bay Area, right? You mm-hmm. Fill in the blank of companies. Like these execs talk about EQ all the time, emotional intelligence, EQ this, EQ. They got the jargon. They've appropriated it. They don't have any emotional intelligence. They just say it all the time. Yeah, because it's a buzzword. That's right. Puke. <laughs> yeah. So I do, you know, I have missions within missions, and one of them is to dismantle that bullshit. Right. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I, th- I think that's a, it's a good mission, especially in the Bay Area. These people who are in Silicon Valley or in tech, and they think that they're just, they know everything. Yeah. Or that that they are God. Yeah. Just, they heard the word mindfulness yesterday, and now they're an expert on it, and they're going to mansplain it to me get the fuck out of here yeah or they they paid thousands of dollars for some sort of retreat that they went on so they think that therefore they are enlightened and totally not that easy 
which is a segue to the third book, Holy Shit, I'm Dealing with a Narcissist. That book is hilarious and rock solid. I mean, I I love all the books. Um, but that one, because people talk about narcissism all the time, but they don't know what the hell they're talking about. They think it's a synonym for asshole. There no. is a whole like spectrum of ways that people show up with that personality disorder. And I try to explain that and then talk about it in the workplace of like, they say this and then you say this and that's why this is a fail. Say this instead because mm-hmm. they're gaslighting you now. So you don't want to join them in that, take that bait. You got to step back and do this. So that one was, that was a fun one. Yeah, fun one no, that sounds like a really good book to be able to check out because I think you're right. Narcissism is a term that people throw around a lot and they don't necessarily understand what it means. Yes. And it's good to get back to like, okay, what what is the textbook definition of a narcissist? How can you spot that? And how can yes. you deal with it? Because yeah. you're not going to be able to change them. And that that's a losing game. Yes, it is. It absolutely <laughs> is. So just stop trying. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, well, it's it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show today. And I, I just really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, and if people want to find you online or check out your books, where should they go? Well, the books are all on Amazon and Spotify. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. com has everything. That's just the website. And there's so much free content on my Instagram because with the pandemic, we just wanted to have stuff out there where people can learn for free. So that's also Dr. JJ Kelly. Absolutely. Wonderful. Well, um, yeah, thank you for taking the time today and um, we'll talk soon. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope that it made you feel a little bit less weird about whatever shit you got going on in your brain. And uh, don't forget to follow or subscribe to Crying Behind Sunglasses on your favorite podcast app. And if you want to learn more about Dr. JJ Kelly, you can check out her website, which is in the description, or you can go to cryingbehindpod.com. That's where I put all of the episode guides and links and more uh, resources that we discussed during the episode. And also, if you need more support, I have a private Facebook support group of the same name as this podcast. Uh, so if you go to facebook.com slash groups slash crying behind pod, you can join that crying behind sunglasses support group. It's a really great group of people. And you can just kind of vent, ask questions, get advice, post weird memes, anything goes as long as you're nice, you know, don't be an asshole. I've been your host, Kayla Dahl. And until next time, stay cool. Stay present, stay sunny. (laughs) 